Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Top Tottenham. It's been another mixed week for Antonio Conte and his Tottenham team, fresh from that 4-0 win against Leeds United on Saturday. Spurs followed it up with a 1-0 defeat against Middlesbrough in the fifth round of the FA Cup. Joining me as ever is Alistair Gold. Ali, you okay after last night? Yes, I love doing these really long trips to write about defeats. It's amazing. Um, uh, Honestly. We could just record the same kind of intro to this podcast, pretty much, and just like each week we kind of know roughly what's going to happen. Now, I'm just going to read this out to people, right? If if anyone out there kind of struggles to understand the whole Tottenham are slightly inconsistent um, line, which everyone is talking about, here are the results in 2022 alone in all competitions, right? Win, loss, win, loss. Win, loss, win, loss, loss, win, loss, win, loss. It's just, I'm honestly, just those couple of defeats in a row are like the most striking thing about that pattern. It's just incredible. And it just, it makes it so difficult for you or I to talk about it on podcasts, for you or I to do our writing, because we can't get carried away with a win. We can't get carried away with a defeat because it all changes every couple of days. Honestly, it's the most ridiculous period of covering a football club. I think anyone, obviously, <laughs> maybe going slightly dramatic there. There are other other clubs that have had, uh, you know, relegations and things like that. I, I should I should uh, point out this is the most ridiculous way to cover a club who are utterly um, kind of stuck in mediocrity. Um, it's just incredible. I mean, you 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 were there as well last night. Eh? What, to be fair, fair play to Middlesbrough as well. The crowd was superb. The Tottenham fans were also superb, I must say, the travelling fans. But Middlesbrough utterly deserved it last night, didn't you think? 100%. Uh, it was definitely a banana skin going there. You know what you're going to get with the Chris Wilder team. And they were fantastic over the course of the 120 minutes. Thoroughly deserved to go through. I know they came into the game on the back of a 3-2 defeat against Barnsley, but... Yeah, I thought they were fantastic last night and, you know, perhaps could have been by more than the one goal as well, given a few of uh, the chances they had. Spurs, I mean, Joe Lumley, how many saves did he have to make in the Middlesbrough goal? Two maybe at the absolute tops. Just another poor night for Spurs. And going back to what you said about the podcast intro, it's literally the same as last week. We're just swapping Man City for Leeds and then Burnley for Middlesbrough. It yeah. could be word for word. It's it's horrendous at the moment. Well, I mean, keep listening, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> There's different things to talk about. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned the current run of form, win-loss, win-loss. I mean, Monday, is that going to be, are we taking that another win? Or is this going to be the one where it's another loss? 
I mean, the Rob, the Rob, the Robert Guest derby this Monday evening. Um, yeah. Well, obviously, all Spurs fans will be hoping we stick with the win loss pattern. Um, <laughs> but it's just mind blowing. Even Conte after the match last night, he didn't know whether to be annoyed or just laughing because of how ridiculous it was. He was kind of he was smiling and a little bit of a joke when he was talking about. You know, I've tried the carrot, I've tried the stick. Um, and what he's referring to is, you know, is the way he reacts after matches. We, we saw how he was. And he's since come out after and said that that Burnley press conference and everything was was strategy. It was all strategy. Um, you know, I, I think we said this on our podcast that people around him had said that it was it was to put a bit of a rocket up the players' backsides, essentially, to get them moving, um, a little bit of fear factor. I think there was a lot of emotion in there as well. And I don't think he can claim he was this ice cool strat um, strategist, you know, kind of uh, playing playing the game. I don't think so. I think he was very, very angry. Um, but then on the flip side is I, I was, you know, I understand it, <clears throat> excuse me, that after that game, he threatened the players essentially with if they don't beat Leeds, they're all going to spend the time in between the Leeds and Middles as much um, staying over at the Lodge at Hotspur Way. And, you know, I, I kind of put out my article today and some people go, oh, no, being pampered in a five-star hotel, what a punishment. It's like, yeah, it's not quite that, though, is it? If you think about it, it's, it's being away from your family. It's the same as you or I, really, having to sleep over at our work every single night and then having to start the next morning. Yes. Yes, it's a very nice hotel. I still haven't actually been in there. I was hoping the media might get a tour at some point. But yeah, I'm sure it's very nice. And and but it is you going to work, staying there, not seeing your children, not seeing your wife or whatever, your partner, um, and going straight into work. So shock horror, Tottenham won 4 0 after that threat. And then I don't know, it seems to be a theme as well. Every time he names an unchanged lineup. That unchanged lineup going, not today. No, no, no. We're going to revert to something very different. Um, and it's weird. It's almost like maybe he has to make a couple of changes just to freshen it up each time because just certain players, and we're going to talk about individuals as it goes on in this podcast, but certain players who were superb, incredible, I'd say, against City were then like very meh and kind of off the ball against Burnley. Then against Leeds again, players that were really like stand out and you know, we praised them highly in our pieces we wrote, then played against Middlesbrough, eighth place in the championship, and looked incredibly ordinary. Um, and look, you know, this is with no disrespect to uh, Middlesbrough at all, because they've beaten Man U, they've beaten Spurs, they utterly deserve to be in the quarterfinals. And I hope, you know, they go continue to do very, very well. But a top a team with aspirations that Tottenham have should not be going to the eighth place team in the championship and surrendering the majority of possession. You know, I think uh, Middlesbrough had 51% of possession. They should not be having 16 shots on target Middlesbrough, which was more than Tottenham. Um, and some of you the know, international stars that Tottenham have in their, among their ranks, who were just, some of them were absolutely awful. You know, really, really poor. They will not be wanting to watch any video analysis of the game, but I hope they make them. Bit like Clockwork Orange, another movie reference you might not get there. But you know, I can just imagine them having their eyes like pinned open, watching replays of some of the things they were doing against Middlesbrough last night because uh, oh, it was horrendous. But yeah, it gives us loads to talk about because um, there are a few players that had us 
whinging a little bit in the press box, didn't they, during the match? They did. Uh, full credit to Middlesbrough there. I thought they were fantastic. Uh, played really well in the previous round against Manchester United and yesterday worked the socks off and fully deserved it. And, you know, a really good goal from young Josh Coburn as well. Yeah. From a Tottenham perspective, not a good goal at all to concede. <laughs> but, I mean, Coburn... We've all seen the screenshot. We've all seen the photo yeah. of the defending. Again, there's another screenshot of bad defending. Yeah, I don't think Coburn could have hit it any better. Literally, it was like a rocket into the corner. Uh, So, yeah, full credit to Middlesbrough. They fully deserved it. I mean, first of all, do you want to just give us your thoughts on the performance and the defeat? (laughs) What performance? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's start with players that I think maybe get some credit. I thought Hugo Lloris, you know, having had a bit of criticism in recent games, I didn't think there was much he could do about the goal, but he made a really smart stop. Um, who was it? Someone had a volley at the back post, unmarked. Uh, Tavernier. In, yes, Tavernier had it. one in extra time, and then Isaiah Jones put one across the face of goal yes. a couple of minutes before the full-time whistle, what he did well to save with one hand. Yeah, so I thought Lloris didn't really deserve to be on the losing side. I thought he played well. Um, yeah, they should have been crucial saves, but Tottenham made sure that they weren't crucial at all. Um, say Eric Dyer wasn't particularly bad. I thought Eric Dyer was okay, and Ben Davies. I thought the two of them did okay. Uh, Christian Romero had some iffy moments, it was unlike him. Um, he was a little bit too much of the, and I know you love it, the I'm gonna change the game by myself and surging forward, kind of in ironically, Serge Aurier style. Um, other than that. I'm struggling. I'm struggling to really pick out anyone else. Maybe Kulisevsky. I think Kulisevsky created a lot. When you look back, I don't think he was at his best. I think he looked tired. But I think if you look at the amount of chances he created, I think most of Spurs' best moments came from something he did. Um, So, yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll just go with those four players and the rest. I mean, we thought Stephen Bergwijn was going to come off the bench and because he started really brightly. I, th- I think we thought he was going to be a one we could maybe have a little bit of a rave about. Um, I don't mean like a dance or something, but actual praising his um, kind of performance. But he, even he kind of faded a bit in extra time as well. But uh, they just lost the battles all over the pitch. That's exactly the opposite of what Conte praised about them at Leeds. He said they were winning lots of the duels at Leeds, and that was exactly what they needed to do. And then they went to Middlesbrough. You know, it should be the most obvious thing in the world that you know the championship team, feeling like they're their underdogs at home with the crowd winning them on, are going to battle for everything. So you have to match that battling. And just didn't. Some of the tackles that went in, you know, it was always like, you know, you know, sometimes when you get a handshake from someone and they just kind of flop their hand into your hand, that was like some of the tackles. It was like, oh, I'm just going to hang a leg in there. I might maybe get the ball, but I don't want to hurt myself. And it was just like, oh, you cannot do that. And I think that's why Conte was laughing afterwards. He was just like, what else going to do? <laughs> I honestly have tried everything. And he was quite right. He's saying, you know, this isn't just me. This is stretching back now. I think probably the most consistent period Spurs had was probably peak years under Poch. Was that year they finished second. Um, and of course, they finished second to a Chelsea team managed by a certain Antonio Conte. Um, and even that season, you know, there were just sometimes they just didn't see it over the line. But I actually felt that consistency wise, it's probably the best we've seen Spurs in years. But since that point, they've just 
just gone back to, and I hate the word Spursy, but gosh, Spurs do like to try and prove that Spursy is a thing. They really do. And it's like, you know, it's like we kind of knew Burnley was going to be a massive problem for them. And we also knew that this was never going to be an easy game for them. They managed to make things that should be easy look incredibly hard. Um, so, yeah, no, I wasn't I wasn't ecstatic about the foot performance, no. I think it's just desire and wanting it more. That You know you're going to come up against teams like that in the FA Cup who are going to be doing everything possible to want a giant killing. And you need to avoid that. You need to be doing that even more than usual. It's just, I just don't know what to say about Tottenham, to be honest. It's just so inconsistent. And you can understand why Conte was laughing. I think it was one of those where if you don't laugh, you'll just cry about it. So, I'll just tell you, I've just been sent this. And this is quite interesting, only because it's been sent to me right in the middle of this uh, podcast, right? So since 2019, these performance, these matches against so-called smaller teams, Colchester, Tottenham, nil-nil, 4-3 on penalties to Colchester. Antwerp, one, Tottenham, nil. Zagreb, three, Tottenham, nil. Pesos de Ferreira, one, Tottenham, nil. Vitesse, one, nil, Tottenham. Enes Mura, two, one, Tottenham. Middlesbrough, one, nil, Tottenham. One goal Spurs have scored against those teams in those matches. They're all the kind of embarrassments, aren't they? They're all the embarrassment matches of recent years. And Spurs have managed one goal in those games. What was that? One, two, three, seven games. It just sums it up. It's, it's a mentality thing, isn't it? It's this I'm better than you kind of mentality they go into these matches in. And I don't know why. Who who told them that they were better than these other teams? <laughs> because we haven't seen it. That's incredible, that. I hadn't even thought about that, some of those games. I put I banished them out of my mind, I think. Shocking. Yeah, that's that's not good at all. I think that is just taking your opposition too lightly and then duly yeah. being punished, punished for it. As, uh, as a result, I mean, Tottenham... We're in the fifth round of the FA Cup, coming up against the championship side. Really good chance of making it to the quarterfinals of the competition. Yeah. And there's potentially in the next round, you've got one of Nottingham Forest or Huddersfield playing each other. Crystal Palace went through last night. Everton and Boreham Wood, another tie. I can't remember the other ties tonight, all of them. Oh, no. I wonder who will you... get in the next round. <laughs> but then you're thinking, potentially getting a favourable draw in the quarters, then you're at Wembley in the semi-final. You should be bang up for a game like that last night. And yeah, I know Tottenham could potentially miss out on the Champions League and they will do if they keep playing like they are because of the inconsistency. But you could still finish the season with a trophy. And that then gives you the momentum to kick on into the next season. But that's, it's it's just gone now. Uh, Here's a question for you then. So Conte obviously wasn't that put out in the presser afterwards. You know, he wasn't... Uh, we know he hates defeats, but he wasn't maybe quite as... Even slightly annoyed that we thought he was. Is that because he thinks that this Tottenham team was so inconsistent that even if they'd got through, they probably would have lost to another team in the next three rounds anyway? So he then, I don't know, maybe just thinks, well, it was just a kind of a pointless extra couple of games when now I can concentrate each week, training with them a hotspur way. And I think we've brought this up before, you know, when he gets full week to work with his team, he 
gets results. When he doesn't, they're quite mixed. Would that have played any part, or do you just think he's kind of like, oh, I've had enough? <laughs> Maybe. I think he just probably knows they're just so inconsistent and he knows what's going to happen. But it's not like you're now in the Europa League group stage or the Conference League group stage when you've got a game every other week. Yeah. Your quarterfinal is one game in March. Your semi-final is one game in April. And then you're in the final. It's literally, what, two or three extra games to potentially go all the way. It's not going to have that much an impact on the squad. I know the squad isn't the biggest at the moment, but you should be going all out for the cup for me. Tottenham haven't won the trophy in, what, 14 years now? A long time, yes. Yeah, you you should be going all out for it because there's no guarantee you're going to finish in the top four. So, yeah. I agree with you. Right, should we talk about the the midfield battle? What Middlesbrough came out on top on? <laughs> what battle? <laughs> yeah, so that was obviously one of the big talking points. Uh, Antonio Conte once again has to go with the same midfield. He did a lead with Oliver Skip and Rodrigo Bentenker still injured, so that mean it was Pierre Emil Hoybjerg and Harry Winks next to each other, and. They were both totally outplayed by Johnny Howson, a 33-year-old Middlesbrough player, being at Leeds, being at Norwich, had a few clubs. Uh, he played really well last night, but I think it was just far too easy for him, wasn't it, at times? It really was. you know. And I think, right, let's give them an excuse out of the way. Um, Winks and Hoybier may be slightly tired. Maybe they're going to play almost every game at the moment, and maybe this was one game too many. So that's that's their excuse. I'll stick that first. So that's up front and centre. On the flip side, I just thought they were both so poor. They were so so poor. And the you know we talk about this mentality thing. These are two guys that are now both twenty six. I don't. They're not young anymore. There should be really kind of more experienced heads in that team. You know, Winks has been there, seen there, done it with Spurs. Played in Champions League finals. Played in. Big games, played for England. Hoybier has, you know, he's won titles. He's won at Bayern Munich as well. He's played lots of football. He's been to, you know, through the Euros as well with Denmark. These are two players that should not be so meek at times against Middlesbrough in the midfield. Um, Hoybier is such a funny one. I've noticed this a lot recently that at times you'll watch him and he'll be like the proper battling general. You see him in the middle and he's throwing himself around, he's doing everything, and you just think, well, yeah, what a kind of what an important player he is in the centre. And then he has other moments, and he did a few of them last night where he almost has a bit of a sulk on the pitch. He'll go up, he'll maybe lose the ball, or someone won't pass it to him, and he just kind of turns slowly, looks really frustrated and sulky, and then ambles back quite slowly. And it's like the two don't really kind of marry up. It's like, well, which which one are you? You know, I, I, I think you're, I don't know. I can only use someone like Oliver Skip as an example. And that's not just because obviously I'm a big Skippy fan, but you don't see Skip sulk. You don't see him stop on the pitch and feel sorry for himself. He just throws himself at everything because he just gives his all for the team. And I was quite disappointed with that with Hoybeer. And the other thing that he... I found slightly frustrating with him was that there was quite a few opportunities he had to spring Tottenham on the attack and he just hesitates, just hesitates. Even if it's a split second and the gap is gone for the pass, that little opening for you to play a through ball or a cross-field ball and it's gone. And I think that's just, unfortunately, 
maybe just is a flaw in his game. Maybe he just doesn't quite have that attacking nous to be able to do that. Um, Winks, yeah, Winks had one of those games. Another one. He's another one with his contrasting thing. For me, his contrast is sometimes I'll see him slam into tackles, real full-blooded sliding tackles. And then the next moment, he very much does that kind of wet fish handshake thing as a tackle where he just hangs a leg in and the other player gets through and he's kind of left completely out of position. Or he does, he's done a couple of these recently where he's tried to wipe out a player like cynically and it's like completely misses and it's like, oh God, you could have at least got the yellow card and stopped the break because now they're just running through into this wide open space. Um, yeah, he was poor. Again, his passing is another one that's so up and down. Maybe Winks for me is the player that epitomizes the inconsistency of Tottenham. Because you and I have seen him play some terrific passes, some really creative balls over the top, um, slide roll passes, threaded through balls. He really can do it. And then we've seen him just give the ball away needlessly. It's kind of almost where he's kind of he's just shut his brain off for a minute. He's just played these balls to, to the opposition. Or he's played balls to his um, teammates that have put him in real problems. Um so, yeah, maybe he as a player sums up the, the inconsistencies more than anyone. But I can't help but think. And again, this could be a tiredness thing. Benton Kern skip start that game. I don't think Spurs lose it. I think Spurs win it. And I think that's energy levels. I think that's both have the ability to very quickly spring Tottenham on the attack. They don't hesitate with their passes. Um yeah, I don't think they lose that. I think there's a bit more desire and fight in that centre of the pitch. And, and that was probably where Spurs lost the game. I think the midfield battle was where they really lost it. And um, yeah, I think they're going to get a lot of flack. And I think Winks, well, both of them, to be honest, I think Hoybier is now getting his own scape, you know, scapegoat um, anti-fan club, as it were. Um, and I think, I think for Conte... You know, Benton Kerr, he's hoping to have him back for the Everton match. Skippy is meant to be back in training at some point this week, hopefully, I think it was. Or was it next week? Actually, it might be next week. I think it's this week. This week, he's doing some light work. I think next week, he starts his training. So, potentially not back for Everton, uh, unless there's a little breakthrough towards the end of the week. But, yeah, you know. I think if your lot were to see Winks and Hoybier lining up in front of them, I don't think they'd have any fear whatsoever. No, definitely not. Uh, just, again, just the inconsistency. I know we saw with Hoybier get lead to play that terrific through ball to Harry Kane yeah. for the goal. And we've seen it previously. Uh, his pass for, was it Serge's goal at Old Trafford in the 6-1? Yeah. Did a, another really good pass against Wolves last season for Kane. Really good through bots. A few this season, he has done a few. Yeah. yeah. So the quality is there. Uh, they're just not executing it. Whether at times do they have maybe a bit too much time on the ball and then they're just trying to decide and by then it's too late, maybe. Uh, I don't know, to be honest, what the answer is, but they're just not being good enough for Tottenham. And if Tottenham wants to get moving up the Premier League table, then I think it's going to be uh, Skip and Benton Kerr. In the, the, the answer is different players. Yeah, yeah. If, if they're going to play like that, definitely. Right. Shall we talk about Tottenham's lack of chances then last night? Because Joe Lumley, uh, very quiet, really. In the goal, I can only think of the save from Dyer's free kick, what appeared to be going in. And I mean, it was good to see Dyer over the ball for that free kick because 
few minutes earlier, Harry Kane, you know, his eyes lit up when, it, when he was over the ball for a free kick, slipped when making there and striking the ball, just trickled into the wall. But other than that, really, there wasn't a lot of chances. Son had that near post flick in extra time, I think it was, or during the end of the 90 minutes towards the end, maybe. Doherty missed an open goal. Son had the big head at the back post right at the end of normal time. And then the back flick, I think... First first half of extra time. time, Yeah, yeah. that was it. So it was literally a couple of chances. I mean, with Doherty's, I watched it back today. It does really well to get into that position anyway, to round Joe Longley. It's just the composure in that position. I think. Yeah, I reassessed that one slightly. In the moment, I was like, why did you not pick out Son? And I think the more and more I watched replays, I was like, I can see why you've tried the shot because you've looked up and instantly that goal's gaping and you've probably thought, if I just keep this low and curl it down, but unfortunately, yeah, the quality wasn't there. It's such a shame with the wingbacks because, you know, after the Leeds game, we were buzzing about the wingbacks and they both did so well. They showed everything we wanted them to show. And then... Yeah, they were both, I'd say probably Doherty was slightly better than Sessegnoni last night, but neither of them really made a huge impact on the game. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe the passing played a part into them. Um, but yeah, it's for Conte to go, yay, finally my system works. And the next match go, oh, I didn't again. <laughs> it's just like, what is the point? It's, uh, yeah, no, they didn't. Didn't create enough chances. You know, they should be going to a championship team. And and with the attacking players they've got, you know, you look at the way Kane played against Leeds and the way Kane played against um, Man City, he should be able to do that again against Middlesbrough. He really should. You know, creating at will, he really was. So I don't know why that wasn't possible yesterday. Um, And Sonny, you know, we're going to have to talk about Sonny. I mean, look... Both of us are big Sonny fans. We are. And he's often the man that bails Tottenham out of problems. You know, even when he's not playing particularly well, he'll pop up with a goal that can be crucial. Yesterday, unfortunately, was probably one of the worst performances I've seen from Sonny. Um, it was like a shadow of himself. And again, going to give him the same excuse. It may be that he's been overplayed since he, come back, he came back from his injury. You know, he has come back in. And I think I remember asking... Yeah, I think I asked Conte when he and Romero both came back about how are you going to have to kind of limit their time a little bit? Because obviously they've both been out for a little while, these injuries. You know, Romero was about, what was he, three months? It was, it was, three, pretty much bang on three months, really. Yeah. Yeah. And Sonny was about a month and a half. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll try and manage them carefully. I think he's played them both in like almost the 90 <laughs> minutes in every game since they came back. So, yeah, I mean, if we're going to give that to Sonny, he could be absolutely shattered. Um, and I think he got cramped towards the end of the game and still didn't come off. However, his performance was just so poor by his standards. He just kept giving the ball away. His decision-making was so bad in so many scenarios. Um, that header at the back post, you know, anywhere else he could have put that. There was another moment where just a bit more composure in the box. There's a little dinked ball in. I can't remember, was it Bergvine perhaps? And he just kind of swung a foot at it and like fell over and didn't even put it near the goal. Um, yeah, the back heel was an opportunity, you know, kind of strike. You can't really kind of moan about that. I think he did well. And that's the thing. I've given him credit for getting in the right positions. But in terms of what he did, he 
just really was off his game. And and actually, I think the other players were getting quite frustrated with him. You know, we saw um, there was one moment when Hoybier played him a ball that admittedly wasn't the greatest. It put him in a little bit of difficulty. Um, and he had someone coming up behind him. But all they needed was for Son to hold the ball up. And he just didn't. He managed to kind of lose the ball. And then when he got, he kind of eventually came back uh, to the Spurs box. It didn't result in anything. But then Son had to go at Hoybier. And I think Eric Dyer saw that and was just like, no way. No, we were not having that. And he came out and had a proper shout at Son and was pointing as if to essentially say, no, you were just as much at fault. Get back up the pitch and do what you're meant to be doing. And then also I noticed later on Kane as well, who obviously we know Son and Kane's relationship, you know, they are just like the uh, chief collaborators. Even Kane told off Son at one point because there was a moment when he could have played in two or three players in better positions and he just kind of went for a run and, and did nothing with it. So, yeah, for, for Son, probably the most popular guy at Tottenham to have people telling him off during a match. I think that summed up what an unusually bad performance it was by him. Um, yeah, very, very strange. And, and Son is such, despite his incredible talent and the things he's done, he's still such a confidence player, um, Son. He really does rely on on his confidence levels being high to, to execute some of the things that we know he's capable of. And, you know, if you've got Son and Kane, Son and Kane essentially are Tottenham stars. You know, they, they kind of pulled Mourinho's Spurs out of a lot of holes last season. If they're not doing that, Spurs look so ordinary. I think we saw that last night. Yeah, for me, Son, when he's at the top of his game, like he was against Man City the other week, he's literally world-class. But when he struggles, like he really struggles. It's like there's no middle ground with him at times. Sometimes mm. he's either brilliant or he's so poor. And last night he was so, so poor. Just nothing were coming off him. Ball were bouncing off him at times. Decision-making was so poor. Didn't have a good time in front of goal. And maybe if Lucas Mora was on the bench... Son probably wouldn't have played the full 120 minutes. I'm yeah. surprised he lasted that long because I thought you'd be better just giving Alfie Devine a chance or Dane Scarlett. I mean, yeah. they could do no worse, to be honest, what Son was offering. You're spot on. They, they missed Lucas last night. They missed having his pace to come off the bench and you know to just change the way they were playing uh, 100%. You know, last night was a game for your big players to stand up and be counted and, you know, drag the team through to the quarterfinals kicking and screaming, but no one did that. And that's just been... That after the game. Yeah, I yeah. asked him that question and he kind of swerved it. He either didn't understand it or he swerved it. And I just thought, oh, no, you know, you've got to make everyone accountable. I do think that. With Son as well, we've seen it a number of times when he has played poor, he still has managed to score and that's a sign of a really good player. I can remember when... Kane got injured at Southampton on New Year's Day in 2020. Uh, the following few weeks after that, obviously Son was the main man. wasn't particularly playing well in the games, but the real purple patch in front of the goal where he was chipping yeah. in. Uh, but no, really, really poor from uh, him tonight. And obviously, Tottenham fans will be hoping he's on his game over the coming weeks because there's some big games coming up. Everton on Monday and then Manchester United and West Ham as well uh, before the international break. And if Spurs want to find a way into the top four, then they need to be winning all of those games. I think there's 
a certain Brazilian player you want to talk about as well today, uh, Emerson. I don't want I mean, to talk about it. I <laughs> really have to. Oh, Emerson. Emerson Royale. Um, I must praise him for doing everything he can to destroy stereotypes, and that is the stereotypes of Brazilian footballers being the most attacking and, and you know, flair-filled footballers out there with the best possible technique when it comes to attacking because my word he just uh look he is 23 he can get better but my word he just needs someone he almost that needs a one-to-one coach to teach him so many of the the basic things i think that are required of you know no no you know what i'm gonna be fair to him look Whatever his role has been in the past, I don't believe it's to have been an attacking fullback. So perhaps in what he's been doing in the past, that's absolutely fine. Maybe the people to blame here are um, is the recruitment process at Tottenham, whether that's Paratici, whether it's the scouts, whatever. Or maybe they truly felt that under a Nuno uh, starting eleven, that Emerson was the perfect fit for that right-sided role. I don't know. But in a Conte... Uh, team, he just sticks out like a sore thumb in terms of, oh my goodness, I, I, I don't want to go too hard on him because he is still adapting, of course he is, he's a foreign player coming to a different league, it will be so different for him, but I think my biggest problem with him is is the things that maybe should be a given, and that's the technique, technique lets him down so much, um, decision making, um, I mean, you know, I can I can criticise the lack of end product all, all I want, but ultimately last night it was about the defending in the end because that goal, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's Sunday league. That is some bloke standing at the back post with his hand up and then suddenly realises all his mates are about 20 feet in front of him holding a line. Um, and that's not to excuse the other Tottenham defenders who, if anyone has seen the photo doing the rounds, there's five Tottenham players gathered on the left-hand side, outside the Spurs box, as if they're having a campfire and telling little stories and saying like scary stories or something. They're just all standing around in this weird little group with, I think it's about two Middlesbrough players, maybe three. Um, I have no idea what they were doing over there. I don't know whether they like found a buried treasure or something on that side of the pitch, but whatever they were doing, I don't know why Emerson was staring at them, being able to see them all and not realising... Oh yeah, I'm standing all the way over here. I must be playing someone on side. Yes, you are, Emerson. You're playing the goal scorer on side. Who then ran through and clumped it home. Um, it was so so poor. I, I think even on Matt Doherty's performance last night, where he still had a few moments, and yes, you know he could have scored that goal had he had a bit more composure. Um, I still think he's now ahead of Emerson. If I'm Conte. I'm not putting Emerson in at wing-back. I'm just not. If, we, if you're playing one game a week, I don't think Emerson should be coming onto that pitch, to be honest, unless there's an injury. Because I think he's he's not able to play the wing-back role. Do you know what? I'd, I'd almost wonder whether he'd be better. And I think he's played this role before. Almost if he's going to stay at Tottenham, retraining to be like the right-sided player on the back three when Romero can't play. I actually wonder whether that would suit him a little bit better. Um, because. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so wary of going too hard on because we, we all do this. We kind of go in too hard maybe on 
on foreign players who have only been there for, what is it, six, seven months he's been at the club now. Um, and he may well come good, but it's just going to be so much improvement has got to be done because I just don't see... If Conte is around next season, I can't see Emerson Royale being his one of his, his wing-backs. I wouldn't be shocked if he's a player who moves on quite quickly again uh, in the summer because... You know, he seems a lovely guy, <laughs> and, he, and I'm sure he has his talents, as he proved at uh, was it was it Betis? Where was he before? Yeah, he was at Betis. Yeah, Betis. Yeah. yeah, a really good loan at Betis as well. Finally got his dream move to Barcelona, and then quickly was whisked away. But, but I think you're looking at it now, and Barcelona are probably laughing. It's 25.8 million pounds in their hands, and Tottenham have got a player who isn't the player they needed in that position. Um, so yeah, sorry, that has ended up being a bit of a rant about Emerson. And uh, again, I can only stress he is young and he can improve, but he's got to improve a lot. Emerson was one of the substitutes last night, came on after about 81 minutes. Going to talk about Conte's substitutions now because uh, saw on social media last night a lot of Tottenham fans were questioning why he was leaving his uh, substitutions too late in the day. 81 minutes were on the clock when Stephen Bergwijn came on for Ryan Sessegnon. Emerson for Matt Doherty as well. Prior to then, Spurs just hadn't really done enough to test Joe Lumley in the goal. And you're thinking if you want to go through and avoid 30 minutes of extra time, then you need to be changing things. But he he didn't. He left it rather late. Then in extra time, Sergio Reglan came on for Dejan Kulosevsky at halftime in extra time. Dane Scarlett then got the final five minutes and on match of the day coverage last night, uh, BBC One, Alan Shearer was in the studio and I think he was saying basically that Chris Wilder made the better substitutions and that proved to be correct because Josh Coburn had uh, scored the winning goal. I think Mark Bowler had an impact when he came off the bench as well. Balligan, the Arsenal learner, did all okay. And, uh, yeah, it really worked well for Middlesbrough, not so for Tottenham. Is he leaving his substitutions too late? I know he doesn't have a right lot of options at the moment. We've talked about a numerical disadvantage. We're far going out in January, too early coming in. I mean, there was Alfie Devine, Dane Scarlett, Harvey White on the bench last night. Not a lot of attacking options. Is he leaving it too late or is he just going with the players he trusts, do you think? I think it is. I think it's a lack of options. I think that's really what it is. I mean, he's made a few comments in, in recent weeks about having the ability to rotate and not lose the quality. And I just think that's something he doesn't have. I think that's why such a big summer ahead if, if he's to stick around. Because, yeah, we, we said this right at the start when we got to the ground. It's very much like Bergwijn. That's your attacking... That's it. That's your attacking sub, one player. Um, and, you know, and I asked him this ahead of the game. I kind of said at Leeds, you know, you had, what, three, out, three maybe four outfield players injured, and it meant you had to put four academy kids on the bench. Um, and I was like, you know, does that, is that a good thing in terms of the academy, or is that a bad thing because it shows how easy it is for your squad to look very thin? And he kind of took it, maybe, again, maybe didn't understand the question or he took it in the wrong way. And it was just like, oh, you know, with Dane, you know, because I think maybe because I mentioned Dane coming on at the end of the match, he's like, oh, you know, Dane's earned it. If he's on that bench, he's earned it. I don't give gifts to players and all that. 
And I suppose that's what we can take is the I don't give gifts element to it because, you know, you and I both said as that game wore on that as 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 many times as Son has come up big in late scenarios for Tottenham, even when he's not playing, I still think someone like Alfie Devine would have offered more at that point because he looks he looked like he was running on empty Son. He looks so knackered. Um, but clearly Conte was not going to give him the gift, as it were, of coming on. And, and uh, he's a guy that... What's the best way to describe it? He um, he prefers ready-made players. I think he does. I think that's that's clear. Um, but yeah, why someone like, you know, I don't know, why why Emerson's coming on or why Regalon's coming on when you do have an attacking midfielder there in Alfie Devine or Harvey White, who any set pieces Spurs were going to get around that box, Harvey White would have been an improvement on every single player who could have taken those on that pitch. He's, he's one of Spurs' best set piece takers in the club. Um, and he's got a very good cross on him as well. You know, you could maybe even put him out on the left. He can play as a left back. I think he would have done absolutely fine. And Dane, yeah, obviously Dane came on late on, didn't he? Didn't really get, it's a bit like Leeds. He didn't, I think Leeds, he got a little couple of moments to show what his feet were like, fast feet and all that. But yeah, he didn't really see the ball much. I don't think players were particularly giving him the ball, which doesn't help. Another maybe mentality thing, like we don't trust you. It's, it's all, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I think there's been other games where definitely I think he's left it a little bit too long, but I don't think last night was really one um, that I can probably criticise him too much for, just purely because of the lack of options. And, uh, you know, I say all this about Son and, and Kane and all that, but if we're a manager and we're dependent on results, you're probably not going to take Kane or Son off in the final minutes because of their reputation of getting big goals. But no, in the end, it ended up being a you know an absolutely fabulous night for Joe Lumley. One that one there for the the older older TV viewers who remember that TV show. Well, I've got I've got the uh, substitutions in the recent games actually on the laptop right now because I did a yeah. piece on it earlier. So against Wolves when they lost two 0 yes, he, he made a change. He reacted really quickly and made the change on twenty eight minutes with Kulisevsky coming on for Sessignon to try and change the shape because Wolves were just totally on top and dominant. Uh, his next change in that match, 71 minutes, Bergwijn for Lucas. Then his final throw of the dice was Emerson for Doherty on 82 minutes. In the defeat against Burnley, he had to make a change at half-time as uh, Winks came on for Benton Kerr, who was injured. With Spurs on top, at the start of the second half, he then put Lucas on for Emerson after 65 minutes. And his last change was on 79 minutes, Bergwijn for Sessignon. That time they were chasing the goal after Ben Mee's uh, header about eight minutes earlier. Then at Leeds uh, on Saturday, even when they were 3-0 up and cruising, really, 78 minutes when he made his first two changes, Emerson for Sessignon, Bergwijn for Kulosevsky. Then he gave Dane Scarlett the final three minutes for Son. Well, I mean, they were winning 3-0 at Leeds. Didn't have to make substitutions if he wanted. But surely that was the perfect time to be giving those on the periphery of the side, you know, your likes of Alfie Devine, Harvey White, even giving Dane just a bit more time than three minutes to make an impact. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, yeah, but that's the time. I know, obviously, Son went on to score the goal, so in hindsight... You know, he got his record-breaking goal, but I'm sure that would have come anyway. 
would he have been better served in hindsight of having come off after 60 minutes, let's say, and letting, uh, you know, Dane get that final half hour and him resting? You know, I don't know. I mean, on the flip side, you could praise him for the substitutions against Leicester away, you know, when he brought on Matt Doherty and Bergwijn and they both, between them, kind of changed the game, really. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just kind of feel maybe we have to wait to judge him until he's actually got a squad that he can make an impact with his subs with. Once Lucas is back, that gives him another option again. But, uh, yeah, I think we're all going to dissect now and pull apart. Every time there's a defeat, we're going to kind of rip apart what they're doing. Um, oh, Tom, it's mad. I mean, as well, it was something a lot of fans made the point of when Pochettino was manager. Some of his yeah. substitutions were coming too late in the day. Yeah, you could probably say it for a few of the recent games, especially last night against Middlesbrough. But I think a lot of that is as well down to the fact there's just limited options there for him at the moment in, in an attacking sense. And I think it's just a case of trusting the players, you know, who can do the job on the pitch and just keeping faith with them. So sure it's one a lot of people will be uh, trying to keep an eye on over the next few games so what next for Conte then I mean we've got what five days until the face Everton at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium this is a period really when he needs to be using his time wisely as he did in the lead up against Man City yes yes maybe Everton will be quaking in their boots at the fact that he has <laughs> these six days to kind of uh that's his magic number of, of matches, uh, sorry, of days to prepare a team. But um, he's a funny one. He is Conte. He's like, he was answering a question to me about, yeah, the thing I asked. And he, he started to talk about patience again. And he kind of did a little grin at me as if to say, like, yeah, I know you asked me about patience the other day. We've got a thing. And it was a bit like, looking back at his answer, his answer does kind of suggest that he's going to show patience, that he is going to show patience. But, I I think the key is the Tottenham Hotspur that begins next season cannot resemble in any shape or form the Tottenham Hotspur that we've got right now because Antonio Conte will not be the manager if it is. It just won't, the head coach. Um, this is not what he signed up for. He very clearly said, uh, I think it was a week ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, you know, I expected when I signed up that I'd need a, a little bit of work, a few changes, and we'd be competing. I said, what I've found is something that needs a lot more work than that. And, and I get it. Maybe from the outside, you know, you see you've got Kane, you've got Son, you've got a World Cup winning captain, you've got the Serie A's best defender, slap bang in the middle of your defence and all that. And you probably think, oh, well, there you go. There's not too much to do here. There's a good spine to this team. Um, no, no, Antonio. Welcome to Tottenham. It, it's, it's not that. It's certainly not that. Um, this summer, you know, I put it in my piece this morning. I wonder whether this is the biggest summer of Daniel Levy's 21 years at Tottenham. I think it could be. I can't really think of obviously, there's lots of on off the pitch stuff with stadiums and training grounds, all this sort of malarkey, but malarkey, <laughs> it's they're very important things. I know that, but on the pitch, I just think we're at this huge like this crossroads, really. Um, he either changes the transfer profile of Tottenham Hotspur, this whole, you know, Borussia Dortmund-esque, we're going to bring in young players and we're going to develop them into stars and we're going to become great, which has just instead been this endless cycle of young players 
the good ones wanting to leave eventually and going to clubs that do win trophies or some of them like the Harry Canes getting stuck there, let's be honest, and having to keep on playing for a team that isn't doing what they want to be doing with their careers. Um, and I think Conte has been very clear about what he believes the state of the club is. Uh, very uncomfortably clear, I think, at times to Daniel Levy, as in uncomfortable for Daniel Levy and those around him. You know, I don't know whether... I mean, well, Conte said it best. He said, I don't think they've ever experienced someone like me before. Um, and I think he means very much telling them exactly how things need to be. Um, because, yeah, this summer, you know, we use the word... We throw the word overhaul around, but I think it needs to be a huge summer overhaul. I really do. I think... I think I've always thought in my head maybe it just needed a couple of tweaks here and there, and I think people in the club have always felt that. But the more they've gone on this season and the more ill-fitting a lot of the players look to the task kind of that Conte wants. Look, let's make no mistake. Conte wants a team that can challenge for the title. That's it. He's not looking to join a team that is like, oh, we'd love to get in the top four. It's like, that, that's not Antonio Conte. If you appointed him for that, then you're incredibly naive because that's not what he's come to any club for. He's there to win titles. Um, so the Tottenham team that starts next season has to be one that he believes is capable of, of, of doing that. And I'm not saying can or will win the title, but it needs to be someone that isn't just thinking top four is, is the hope. It's got to be one that thinks, well, let's go and do better than that. I mean, Mourinho, in his first press conference, said, oh, in my second season, in my first full season, we'll have a team that will be challenging for the title. I'm sorry, Jose, it's Tottenham. No, they weren't. Um, but, you know, th this is why Paratici has been brought on board. Surely, this is what he's here for. It's to, to create something. They need to find the money from somewhere. Because if... I mean, I'll, I'll put this question to you so you can, <laughs> so you can save me ranting and on and on and on. But... If Conte were to go, what comes next for Tottenham? I don't know because I mean <laughs> exactly. they've had they've had literally some of the best managers in the world yeah. in recent years: Pochettino, Mourinho, Conte. I mean, Conte. What we're we saying, top three, top five in the world. Yeah, at the moment, yeah, just coming off a Serie A yeah. title-winning season. Yeah. So who are you going for next then? Because you're not going to get Klopp or Guardiola no if you more. want someone better. No, so uh, you go back to a young progressive coach. That you have to go back to that model, which was Potch from Southampton all those years ago, 2014, and you start again, which the fans will, I think, a lot of them will just be incredibly frustrated about, and the atmosphere will just be so toxic for that new man coming in. Yeah, it would. I mean, who would you go for, Graham Potter? Would he want it? He's rejected it already. He rejected last summer yeah. the chance to have kind of proper talks about the job because he looked at Brighton and he looked at Tottenham and he thought, do you know what? I think it's more stable at Brighton. And you look at these months on, he was spot on. <laughs> you know, the man who got the job lasted four months and he was out. No, no. Um, yeah, I think the only one that maybe from a PR point of view saves the day is Poch. I don't know how doable that would be in the summer because, you know, there's a lot of talk that perhaps if he leaves PSG, it would be a gardening leave situation anyway. 
um, or whether they just purely wouldn't see Tottenham as a rival. Um, and whether Manu come in or not, I don't know. But even for Poch, is Tottenham that far removed from the mess they were in when he left, you know, when he was booted out the door? Because I don't think they are. I think he's stepping back into exactly the same chaos he was fed up with when he left. Yeah, 100%. Ten Hag Ajax might be a good option. You could probably I see him. Will go for, I honestly think Man U yeah. will probably go for him. Yeah. Scott Parker, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we don't want to be discussing this situation in the summer. We want Conte as manager, and hopefully, can't have another one of them. We can't have a managerial coach like that again. We can't. It might be the end of me. How many days was it again? Was it seventy-six? Seventy. Something it was like. in the seventies, wasn't it? It was in the seventies. Way yeah. too long. And I think the initial idea was to have someone appointed by the end of the season, and that, yeah. that oh, just was, didn't yeah. happen. Yeah, and they ended up with someone they got rid of after four months. Yeah, it was well right. worth <laughs> Right, we'll move away from managerial talk now. A <laughs> uh, little bit about Everton on Monday. Big game, really big game. Uh, I mean, I said this to you last week. Confident or not? <laughs> I mean, is this is this the win if we're going on the current trend? Well, it would be utterly Tottenham, wouldn't it, for the trend to be broken because everyone's realizing there's a trend. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised. Um, do you know what? I think it would be completely away from the actual match and ramifications of it all. Uh, it would be quite nice to see Deli Alley come back. You know, I know it hasn't been long, but um, I think that would be a nice little moment to see how the fans take to him coming back. Um, I think he'll get a brilliant reception. I do. Um, whether he'll start or not is another thing. Whether Frank Lampard decides that maybe... The emotional side of it actually it might be a good one for him to start because he knows he'll give everything against his old club to show what mistake they made. But has he even started a game yet for Everton? Like, yes, has he? No, I think he just uh, come off the bench in the recent games. Did well against Leeds uh, a couple of weeks ago when we won uh, 3-0. Probably start on Thursday against Barham Wood in the FA Cup. So chance for him to show what he can do. But in the midfield three at the moment, it'll be Alan Dakare. And then Van der Beek, who's done okay. So Ali's in a bit of a similar situation as when he was at Tottenham in the final few months, given a, a midfield free. Can he really play in it? There's no really, not really a role for him in the forward free. So, so he's a cracking in a, move, is what you're saying. At the moment, yeah, it, it looks <laughs> like it, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure minute, minutes will come his way, uh, definitely on Monday. And he'll just be looking to kick on and make a name for himself now. Yeah, no, but in terms of the match, I think it's two teams who will probably have quite brittle confidence and it will only take one thing going wrong for them to probably collapse a little bit and have some problems. Um, I'm intrigued to see whether Michael Keane shows the same turning circle as I saw him have the other day, which was uh, it was a bit like uh, an ocean liner trying to turn very, very slowly. Um, but then, yeah, certainly can't laugh at anything <laughs> with Tottenham playing the way they are. Um, I think much will depend for Tottenham on who comes back. You know, if you get Benton Kerr back in that midfield, I think suddenly you've got a bit more quality in there. Um, and I do think the six days will play their part. They have not, I think they've won all but one game they've had six days under Conte to prepare for, and that was a draw, the one that they didn't win. Um, so Logic suggests he'll have them ready 
and they'll be suitably recovered. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd be intrigued to see how he deals with them this week as well. Because, like he said, he's tried the carrot, he's tried the stick. You know, <laughs> you can't whack him over the head with a carrot. So there must be something else that, you know, how he, how he treats them, whether there's an internal thing. Whether he, sometimes they let them have a big old dressing room barney, don't they? They let them sort out themselves. And they felt like there was some simmering tension and frustrations among some of the players towards each other. Maybe that's what it needs. Maybe it needs them to sit down and essentially point to each other and tell each other what's rubbish about each other so that they can move past it. Um, it's just so weird. It's like the way we talk. There must be teams, uh, fans of other clubs, not that they listen to this podcast, but if they were to, they'd probably listen to it and thinking, our team's like down the bottom of the league. You know, our team's like in administration. Our team, we've got all these problems, and your first world problems are, oh no, we're seventh and it's awful. <laughs> and it is. When you, when you, this is the problem with Tottenham. They beat Everton, and suddenly, bang, they're right in that mix again. And I mean, technically, we're after the Leeds game because obviously we've only we've played an FA Cup game in between. Um, that's what I think makes it so frustrating is that if they could pull their fingers out and actually maybe win two games in a row or even three, they would be in such a strong position in the European chase for various things. Um, but I think Conte, it just, it's all on his face. He's just like, I don't even believe that they've got the mentality to do that. Yeah. Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guests Talk Tottenham. We've had a lot to discuss today, especially the defeat at Middlesbrough. And then also... Are you going on as one of the mascots for the match on Monday night? I will be there in my full kit, but I think I'll be sat in the press box. (laughs) Uh, Whose hand will you be holding as you walk out? It'll be Delhi's. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think we'll leave that there, as always, <laughs> on Golden Guest Tot- Tottenham. As ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.